Have you ever wished that you could predict the future? You know, I did, no, I did when I was younger, especially, you know, what's my occupation going to be? Where am I going to live? Who am I going to marry? How many kids am I going to have? Um, I wish I'd known them what I know now because, you know, there have been times through the years where I worried about things that were going to happen and somehow it all worked out. But as I've gotten older, I think I've decided I'm glad I didn't always know what was going to happen in the future. You know, especially when those challenging times come along, you're better off sometimes not just knowing, although you always can look back and say, well, God was faithful. Looking to the future, if you had a wish list for 2019, what would you put on it? Like, would you wish that the Colts would make the playoffs? We'll find out next Sunday night. Maybe they got a good chance if they win. Um, wish maybe you win the lottery, become a parent, maybe become a grandparent for the first time. Maybe your wish for 2019 would be that all sermons next year would have to be 10 minutes or less. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great wish, wouldn't it? Not going to happen, though, probably, is it? Yeah. We. We just cannot predict the future, right? It's impossible to do. And that's why this one little obscure verse that we read in the Bible is so remarkable. This verse is two sentences in the Bible. It's 35 words. Now, the Bible is around 800,000 words, give or take a few words. This is 35 of those 800,000. That percentage is so small that if you do the math, it's like a minuscule percentage. It's, it's so small, I can't even pronounce that percentage for you tonight. And, and yet what makes this so remarkable is the fact that those 30-some words actually set the stage for the greatest event in human history and they predict the future and they give the Bible credibility because they predict the future 700 years before the event happened you heard me right it's predicted 700 years before it happened now if I could predict something that was gonna happen in a week you would probably say ah, good guess if I could predict something that was going to happen in a month you'd say yeah he's kinda of lucky if I could predict something that's gonna happen in a year you might begin to think maybe I got superpowers or something like that. But to predict something 700 years before it happened, that sounds impossible, doesn't it? And, and that's what makes this so intriguing. So I want to read you um, this verse that predicts the future 700 years before it happened. Like I said, it's a very obscure verse tucked away in the pages of a book in the Bible called Micah. This Bible rarely gets even looked at. It's six, this whole book is six and a half pages in my Bible. Here's what this verse says. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Now, most of us know the backstory already. We know this is, when it's talking about a ruler, it's referring to Jesus don't we? And what I find fascinating is that it predicts the exact birthplace of Jesus, gives the town Bethlehem 700 years before it happened. It describes Bethlehem, this verse does, as 
a little village. That word little can actually mean inferior, and I think that's perfect. It fits so well, because isn't it just like God to bring his son into an inferior village in the world? Um, th this last year, I had the opportunity to go to Israel and to visit Bethlehem, actually. Back in Jesus' day, Bethlehem had a population of about 1,000 people. Um, I, I took a picture overlooking Bethlehem. Let me show you what it looked like. Here was the picture I took when I was in Israel. That's Bethlehem today. Today it's about 25,000 people. If you were to go there, it would look like an ordinary town, nothing special. There's a church that sits on where they think is the actual birthplace of Jesus, and they're about 90% sure that it's the actual birthplace when they trace back through history. But, you know, take away all the souvenir shops. There's nothing special about this town other than the fact that two and a half million people visit this city, this little city, every single year because it was the birthplace of Jesus. But by the way, when I took this picture, there was actually more than what you're seeing, but I decided not to show it to you a little earlier. And there's a reason for that. Go ahead and put the rest of the picture up there. Yeah. <laughs> it was a selfie, and I knew I'd get that reaction, you know. It'd, be a bit distracting and uh, besides that I don't think I've ever taken a selfie that was really all that flattering of me anyway but pick out any small town little village in the world okay and remember we said Bethlehem at the time was about a thousand people when Jesus was born so pick out any small village in the world of a thousand people now hope Indiana is about 2,000 so it's actually too big Taylorsville is about a thousand people. Nashville, Indiana, when tourists aren't there, is about a thousand people. So suppose you had all the villages in the world that had a thousand people, and you said, you have to pick out the one village out of which this great ruler is going to come. You know what we'd say? Well, that's impossible to do 700 years before it happened. And of course, that's the point. This was something that only God could do. Now, there's another fascinating phrase in that verse in Micah 5.2, and it's the one that says, one whose origins are from the distant past. That'll get you thinking, you know, what, what exactly does that mean when it says it's from the distant past? Anyway, you know, um, what, what it's referring to in distant past is that somehow it's connected to some family there. Um, my last name is Day, and so, you know, if you trace back my family roots, a lot of people think that um, there are a lot of Days in Jennings County, so I get asked a lot, oh, are you related to the Days in Jennings County? And I'm not. I think many of the Days that are in Jennings County actually came from Kentucky. My family came from north-central Indiana, but if you trace it further back than that, uh, the days originated in Pennsylvania about 300 years and made their way to Indiana and settled here. And that's as far back as I go in knowing um, the Day family, which makes it interesting. But, you know, when we read this, this about this ruler in Micah 5.2, it says, um, whose origins are from distant past. Probably a lot of people, when they read it when it was first written in Micah's time, thought it was referring to King David, because King David of Israel had been a, the ruler about 300 years earlier. He was from Bethlehem. But that phrase in distant past can actually mean eons ago, and that phrase can actually mean from eternity past. 
And that kind of blows your mind when you begin to think about the implications of that. So, so track with me here for a minute. This obscure book of the Bible called Micah. In a verse with only 35 words in it. In the tiniest of villages. And then, of course, Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth, not Bethlehem. You had to get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. What does all this mean? Here's the thing I want you to understand. The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem could not have been more unexpected. It caught people by surprise. They did not see it coming. Bethlehem, that tiny little village, was not the first choice that people would pick for Jesus to be born. In fact, it wasn't even a choice. It wasn't on anybody's radar screen. But it happened. So here's the key question. How does that matter to you and me? Why does that matter to you and me? You know, unexpected things happen to us too. Sometimes unexpected things are good. Sometimes unexpected things are bad. And when they're bad, they often cause us to question. Sometimes we even question God. We want to know why things happen like they do. Some of you here tonight may be there. You're questioning why something happened. Maybe it's something that happened in the last month. Maybe it's something that's happened in the last year. Maybe it's something that's happened throughout your entire life. Maybe you're just saying, I just did not expect my life to go the way it's gone. So why does it matter? Why does that, the fact that Jesus was born in the most unexpected way in an unexpected town matter to you? Because it gives you hope. And I want you to stay tuned because in just a few minutes, Josh is going to come and tell us what that hope is. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay, I only meant mine to this part of the room. <laughs> How many of you are Christmas list people? Christmas list, you make a Christmas list out. Now listen, I guarantee you there are more people in this room that should be raising their hand because there's a whole lot of people who are going, yeah, and I better be getting what's on that list tomorrow. My dad is a Christmas list person. He's like, here's what I want. He's just do this. And that, that's just not me. Like, I, I, I like freelancing. Like, I like when people think outside the box. And that's totally my mom. I remember I was in high school and my mom for Christmas, it's, I'd say my parents, but if everybody knew my, it was just my mom. My dad even knew it was, yeah, it's just from your mom. Got me this peacoat. I didn't ask for a peacoat for Christmas. I'm not asking my mom, mom, I'd love a sensible coat that looks good with any outfit. I'm not asking that, but I love that coat. I wore that coat here tonight. Like, I still have that coat. It's starting to get worn out on the edges because I, I realize now I have had that coat for more than half my life, which is a little depressing. <laughs> but I love that coat. I like to think I know what I want, right? I like to think that I know what's best for me. But if I'm honest, almost all of the best gifts that I've gotten in my life have been unexpected. Almost all of my favorite gifts have been unexpected gifts. I love unexpected gifts because of that. And the joy for us of Christmas is that it's about the most unexpected gift. The most unexpected gift we could possibly imagine. It's where God sent His Son to earth to show how much He loved people, to rescue humanity once and for all, to be the perfect and forever King that He promised. Everything about Jesus was unexpected. Everything. I mean, it starts with 
that Jesus came from an unexpected place. Because when you think about God sending a king, God sending a rescuer, you'd, you'd think that, that a king would come from a powerful family in a big city. At this time and place where we're looking at this story, when it happened in history, 2,000 years ago, you need connections. You'd think a king is coming from a line of kings. A king is coming from a family with authority. A king is coming from a big city where he's known. That's where a king comes from, right? But that's not where Jesus comes from. When God sent his son to earth, he came to a family of regular people. His adopted father was a carpenter. And they come to Bethlehem, this small, this backwater town. It's not the place that you would expect a king to go. In fact, he came into the world in a stable. That's where God sent his son, to this unexpected place. But Jesus didn't just come from an unexpected place. He came in an unexpected way. You'd expect a king to come as a conqueror with an army. Right? That's how a king shows up. A king shows up with power and authority and, and pageantry. I've seen the crown. Like I've, I know how it goes. That's how a king lives. Right? That's how royalty lives. That's what people wanted. But that's not Jesus. Jesus came as a baby, as the weakest and most fragile form of humanity. That's how God chose to send his son as a baby that has to be cared for, that has to be looked after, that cannot possibly take care of itself. That's how God sent his son to earth. And Jesus came for an unexpected purpose. You'd expect a good king to come and defeat your enemies once and for all to set you free, right? You want a king to come and kick butt and take names. I'm sorry, there's kids in the service. Kick bottoms and take names. That's what I meant. That's what you want a king to do. And Jesus did do that, but he did it in a different way. Because Jesus knows that our greatest enemy is not someone else, but rather ourselves. That we need to be rescued from ourselves, from our selfishness, from, from our pain, from our hurt, from the mess that we make of life. Jesus came to rescue us, not from others, but from us. That's what we need. And that's wildly unexpected. Four days ago, an anonymous man walked into the Walmart store on Wade Hampton Boulevard in South Carolina. He came in with a purpose. He came into the store, he walked over to the layaway counter, and he asked to speak with, with someone in charge, and then he proceeded to pay off all of the items on layaway, all of the items for everyone. The bill totaled $3,500, but that wasn't enough. This guy wasn't, wasn't okay with just that. So he then went to spend an hour at the front of the store paying everyone's bill who came through, paying for everybody. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why wasn't I there? <laughs> but imagine what, what that would have been like. He didn't know these people. He didn't have them fill out a questionnaire proving they were good people, that they were deserving of this kindness. He did it because he chose to. He did it because he wanted to. The representative from this Walmart said they don't really know how much this guy spent, and they don't even know who he is. They said he's just a great guy who wanted to do something nice for the community. Folks, that is what God has done for us through Jesus. God 
knows that we want something that we can't get on our own and that we can't get right away, so we work for it, right? We work for it. We try to pay it off by doing one good thing at a time and and to, to pay this debt by filling up the good column with as much as we can to counterbalance the the bad stuff that we do. We try and fill this bucket so that it's more than this bucket. But the problem is we'll never be able to pay it off that way. So God sent his son to pay off our debt for for us all at once without us deserving it, without us even asking for it. That's why our series for the month of December has been called At Last. Because Christmas is when we celebrate the moment where God stepped into our story with his perfect king and perfect rescuer at last. The moment that we've been looking for. Because the irony for me is is what Jerry talked about, right? That we could have seen this coming. God's been telling people about this moment for a long time. He told people that he would rescue us forever, but we still missed it. Jesus is not the gift that we expected but he is the gift that we desperately, desperately need. Jesus is the relationship that we have with God. Jesus is the way that can happen with the God who knows us and loves us. Jesus just doesn't show us the life where we were created to live. He makes that life possible. Jesus writes, rewrites our stories and makes them so, so much better. Folks, because of Jesus, our stories, even our best-known stories, can have an unexpected ending. That's the hope of Christmas. That no matter our story, no matter where we are, no matter what it feels like, that the unexpected gift of Jesus can give our story an unexpected ending.